Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. How many of you would know that when you became a Christian, that what you did is you received a, a kingdom into your heart, yeah? And what did you do in that moment? You turned your life over to God, yeah? Right? Guys, right? Okay, we're going to get there today. All right, so you turned your life over to God. And what we're not doing as Christian people is we don't, we don't just graft God into a little section of our heart. We actually turn our lives completely over to Him. And what we don't do is we don't go to come to God or, or, or come to His Word and say, now how can, I, how can I make God align with my life? No, we actually do the exact opposite of that. Uh, we, we realize who He is and we just bring our lives completely into alignment with what he, His Word says. Now that sounds good uh, theoretically, but it requires you to make some changes in your life. We're all meant to be making changes as we go in pursuit of everything that God has for us. So we're, we're changing our lives where we want to reflect the values of the kingdom. And one of the things that we've discovered about Jesus and, and the kingdom is that God cares a lot about what we do with our wealth. And I've said this every week, but it's just kind of shocking to realize that half of Jesus's parables were about wealth. It's about what we do with it. And I just think if it matters to Him, it should matter to us. If it matters to Him, it should matter to us. So it does, it does matter to us. And what do we do as Christian people? Well, we use our earthly wealth for an eternal purpose. Amen? We use our earthly wealth for an eternal purpose. And if we do this well, what will happen is that we will leave a legacy. Right? We will leave a legacy. And when I say legacy, I think legacy can be two things. I think legacy can be what you do uh, or leave in people, but can also be what you leave for people. And why should we have to choose when we can do both? We want to leave something in people and we want to leave something for people. And now if you're here today and you're new, you don't come to church very often, this might seem strange to you. But one of the things that Christian people do is we use our time, our talents, our treasure, our energy, our focus, and all of our resource in pursuit of the things that matter to God. Why? Because they matter to us. We are in pursuit of Him. So we use our earthly possessions for an eternal purpose. Those things matter to us. The reason why we do this is because we want to advance the kingdom of God. We want to see the gospel go out to a world that's broken and needs it. To a world that's broken and needs it. And the gospel message is the greatest, most encouraging, most uplifting message that the world can and will ever hear. It's the greatest message. It is a message from God to people that He loves them. And people make mistakes and He loves them. And, you know, said among people that know nothing about God, how do we get close to God? We be good. I tell you the truth, you will never be good enough. The good news is you don't have to be. Jesus has lived the life that you could not live and He will give you His life in exchange for yours once you, what? Turn your life over to Him. And that brings us back to the start, doesn't it? 
We give our hearts to Him and we align ourselves with everything that He has to say. So this morning, I want to begin today. It's a special day. It's Miracle Offering Sunday. And I want to begin with a scripture. And you know, it's, this is one of my favorite scriptures. I really mean this. I have often read this at, at funerals. Uh, I'm not planning on doing one today. So maybe some things need to die in your heart. I don't know. We'll see, we'll see what happens along the way. But uh, I often read this because it gives us an insight into a space in heaven that we really don't see in any other scripture. Are you excited? Are you on edge? All right, come on, let's go. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now that cloud of witnesses, just so we know, is meant to be the saints who have died, but they ran their race in their time. And now the imagery that we are supposed to get the imagery that they were supposed to get when they read this letter from, I believe, the Apostle Paul, when they read this letter was the saints of old sitting in the grandstands of eternity, looking in on the present generation who would run their race in their time. Yeah? yeah? So that's the cloud of witnesses. In their lifetime, they did everything they could to advance the kingdom. The fact that they are sitting in the grandstands and cheering us on should give us this element of insight to say that, guys, in eternity, your reflection will be, it was all worth it. Yeah? That's the cloud of witnesses. They're cheering us on in our current generation. He says, let us lie aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us, what, run with endurance. I'm not trying to make it to the end of this week. I mean, I am, but you know, because I, I, I get holidays at the end of this week, but just trying to make it through. Just make it through, guys. No, I'm not trying to make it through to the end of this week. We're not called to just sort of, you know, champion this cause for another month. I mean, when we, when we read this, the thing that's meant to shift in our hearts, we're running with endurance. We're, 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 this is a lifetime pursuit of the things of God, yeah? A lifetime pursuit of the things of God. And look, if you've been alive for the last two years, I'm looking around, everyone has been, right? You know that there's some things we've got to endure, Right? So yeah, we're going to go, we're going to endure some, some things, right? But we're going to make it through. We're enduring. We let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. I can't win. I can't win anyone else's race. Yeah. I don't even want to be in it. I'm not comparing myself to other people. Bright Church, we've got our own race to run. Yeah. We've got our own race to win. I don't know what other people are doing and I really don't care. I just know that I can't lean into anyone else's lane and look down what they're doing. We're in our own lane. What we're supposed to do is run with endurance the race that's set before this church, our time, our generation. That's the one that we're in. That's the one that God will hold us accountable for. So we're meant to run that race. And while we're busy looking, don't look around. Don't worry about the, what the guy next to you is doing or how quick they're moving. Where are we looking? To Jesus the founder and perfecter, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, oh, look at that scripture a couple of times, the joy that was set before Him. Well, when the joy was set before Him, I don't think it was the cross. You know, who for the joy that was set before Jesus, what was the joy that was set before Him? I don't think it was the cross. 
Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, we have Jesus sweating drops of blood? Yeah? You're very quiet today, Bright Church. You remember how many Easter services have you sat through? Yeah, you know the story, right? Just nod like you're alive today. Yeah, he was sweating drops of blood, yeah? Okay, so here he is. Do you, how excited, <laughs> come on, how excited do you think he was about the cross? I submit to you, not very excited. In fact, if I recall, and I do, he said, is there any way out of this? But not my will, your will be done. So the joy must have been something past the cross. And evidently, I don't think, the, the cross was the end of his life in this world for that time, yeah? So he must have been looking through the cross to the other side. The joy that was set before him was nothing that this world had to offer. The joy that was set before him wasn't just that he'd be walking into eternity, but that he would lead billions and billions of billions of people with him as he goes on into eternity. His greatest joy was that after the sacrifice, after the cross, that people would have a relationship with God that would come through Him. His joy was that sacrifice is coming, but I can see through to the other side. Amen? Amen. So here He is. He sees through to the other side. And the next part of the verse, by the way, just kind of reinforces everything I said because it says He endured the cross. See, everyone has to endure some things sometimes. Not every part of life is amazing. We all have challenges. We all have seasons that we go through, but we're still just as cold as we've ever been. We are God's people, right? So here he is. He endured the cross, despising the shame. The cross was not just the most painful death that they came up with. It was the most shameful death. Forget about the churches that you've walked into that have a little loincloth to cover Jesus. No, nothing like that. He was completely naked, totally shamed, and he despised it. He's the only guy that ever did everything right. And now he's paying a penalty on behalf of everybody else. It's crazy, isn't it? Here he is despising the shame, but look where he is now. Look where he is now. He says he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is a relationship between what you see and what you're willing to sacrifice. There's a relationship there between what you see and what you're willing to sacrifice. Jesus was willing to sacrifice because what he could see was beyond this world. He saw through it. He saw past it. You know, it's my son's 13th birthday. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. But Pastor Ben, you look so young. How could you have a... <laughs> Would have been better if you didn't laugh. How could you possibly have a 13-year-old son? Oh, I know. But I do. And uh, so he, he, he was saving up for a, a birthday present. And one of the things that he wanted to buy, I think I've mentioned it, an electronic scooter. Electric scooter. That's what he wanted. And so here he is, and he's been saving, you know, Christmases, multiple birthdays. Every time, you know, anybody would say to him, grandparents, hey, Judah, what do you want for your birthday? He'd be like, cold, hard cash, you know? Why? Because he's got a purpose. And he's saving up his money. And we were waiting for 
the things that we all wait for around June, end of year financial sales. That's the time to buy anything. And so, of course, you know, the, the company comes out with their end of year financial sale and he bought like a brilliant scooter. And we, I remember when we were, we had the order form there on the screen and like I had entered all the details and uh, the bank of dad, uh, all of his money is in my account. He stores it there, it has to be transferred, but he stores it there. And so here we are and, and uh, I entered all the details and then I said, oh, Judah, you should have the pleasure of doing this. And like, here he is over the, over the mouse button, ready to put, you know, push the buy it now, right? And did he hesitate? Not one second. He, he clicked that button, right? And, and, and in that moment when he clicked it, was he disappointed? No, he wasn't disappointed. He was excited. You know why? The same reason we, any of us get excited when we buy something, we know what we're getting in exchange for what we buy. When you know what you're getting, you get excited about it. Was, it. was it hard for him to part with the money? No. Why? He knew he was getting a scooter. He's been saving. He's been waiting so he got it. And I think it's the same with everything. We get a little bit excited when we know what we're getting in return for what we give. This happens all the time. The thing that we need to get excited about, though, is the right stuff. We need to make sure that we're excited about the right things. And if we're excited about the right things, then we're always willing to give to those things. I think that, you know, God asks every generation to build the kingdom of God in their time. And we're supposed to be excited about that. He asks every generation to build the kingdom of God in their time. I think that we are moving into a very interesting season as the church. Things are moving so fast right now. They have never, they've never moved this fast in our culture in our lifetime, in anyone's lifetime. We've never seen anything like what's, what's happening right now. And you think about this, like I'm not thinking about what's going to happen by the end of this year. But I tell you this, in five years' time, in five years' time, this state, this nation will be in a completely different space. And I believe that there is a, yeah, there's a spiritual war that's going on. But to be totally honest, it's not just, it's not just spiritual. I think that there's a war for physical space and territory we're just singing about it, that he's reclaiming territory. Right? Well, we, we actually need that stuff. We need that because I think that there is a day coming where unless you own the space where you're speaking from, that, that you will struggle to say what needs to be said. Do you guys, are you, do you understand what I'm saying today? Because there's a, there's a, there's a filter that is coming with intensity over this. And we need that space to be able to, to say that. And so, and so, yes, all of that's true. But I also see the kingdom of God expanding and taking ground and territory at the same time. Amen. If you read the Old Testament, you just have to read Kings and Chronicles. And one of the things that you'll see in those books is that every generation sets up the next, doesn't it? And if you read through those books you'll see plenty of scriptures and they say, and a generation arose after them that did not know God. 
How many times is that line in there? So many times a generation arose and they didn't know him. They didn't talk about him. They didn't celebrate him because they just didn't know. Now, the, the thing is, is that flow down effect, that influence, that works for good and it works for bad. I mean, every generation has the power to raise up the next to be able to do something great or to abdicate their responsibilities as followers of Jesus. So, so it's, all it is is just influence, but it makes you realize the importance of how we spend our lives with what we do with our time, our talent, our treasure. Are we setting up the next generation to win? I'll tell you something else. If you read through the Scriptures... And you see that you'll see this repeated over and over and over again. Every time a generation went awry, it's because they were totally enamored with this world. Every time. Hedonistic cultures that were supremely focused on happiness in this time. It's all about now. It's all about this time. It's all about here. And as long as I'm happy here, I, I, I don't care about what happens after my life or after I die. But the generations that thought ahead, that raised up future generations for success, honestly, they were enamored with the kingdom of God. They were totally focused on the kingdom of God. And we should be too. We know something. We know that we will be held eternally accountable for what we do with our temporal possessions. We understand that. So I just think about it. And you do the maths on it. You don't have to be a genius to figure this out. This time on earth, mist, vapor. This time on earth, honestly, 90 years, maybe. I don't know. Maybe you get past that. Maybe you don't. But let's say that you, you, you last 90 years versus how you spend eternity. Do the quick math. Do the quick math. I, I know how I want to live. I know who I want to live for. I know that I want to spend my time on planet Earth making a difference and setting up future generations. It's just something that, that, that I think about a lot. And I th- you know what I think? I think God calls every generation, every single generation, to think about something beyond this world, to think about eternity. We had uh, my son Judy, it was his uh, birthday party yesterday. And so I took him and his friends rock climbing. So we're driving down to Nunawading. And as we're driving, I, I drove past all the furniture stores that are all around there, if, if you've been there and you know. I see one store that Sarah and I have done some shopping in. And I remember years ago, we went in there and we were looking for a, a dining table. And so we went in and uh, the lady that served us, oh, she was so good. She was a beautiful person, like bend over backwards, help you out, do whatever she could to help us. And so we bought the table and it got delivered to our house. And when it came out and they, the delivery guys put it in our, in our living room or our dining room, uh, I noticed that there was a dent in one of the legs. So I said, well, it came like that. We didn't do it. So we let, you know, we're going to return it and they can bring us a new one. So Sarah calls up and explains to the lady, hey, listen, uh, we need a, the table to change over. He explains all of that. And she says, okay, no problem. I'll look after you. I'll fix that up. And so that was the end of the phone call. Well, about six weeks go by and we're still waiting. And I thought, you know, you don't want to be like too eager and, you know, chasing people down. But I said, I think enough time has passed. Six weeks later, it's appropriate to make a phone call and say, where's our table, you know? So 
So she calls up and she says, oh, look, I, I'm just trying to get in touch with the manager of the store. Um, we bought this table and we still haven't got it. And she said, when did you, when did you call up? Sarah gave her the date. She said, oh, well, we got delivered on this date, so I know the date it was then. She said, well, listen, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but she's actually passed away. And she actually passed away the day after you spoke to her. We were like, wow. It was kind of shocking. And she said she had all this stuff that was in her head. She was one of those people that just kept everything up here. And so, you know, because she didn't write it down, we honestly have no idea who she's spoken to. And the only way that we're finding this out is when people call up and do exactly what you do. And we just let them know over the phone that, you know, she's passed away. And I thought, you know, that lady, you know why she didn't write it down? She didn't write it down because she expected that she was going to make it through that next day. She, she didn't know that that was the last day that she would spend in this world. She didn't, I don't know what her faith was like. I don't know what her spiritual life was, was like. But I know that she expected she, she was going to live past that date. I think like we all do, yeah? Like we all do. Like n- no one knows when that day is coming. And it's so easy for us to have things in our head that we say we're going to do. One day I'll do it. One day I'll get around to it. And I just wonder, will will we be the generation of people that will say we were going to do some stuff? Like, Like we're just putting it off to tomorrow? Will we be the generation that does that? Or will we be the generation that says, no, 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 today is the day of salvation. Today's the day I cross the line. Today's the day I make a decision. Today's the day that I use my time, my talents, my treasure. I mean, you could delay it and delay it and delay it. But this lady, she expected she was going to have tomorrow. She didn't have one. I think, you know, we've got to live with some of this in mind. James says our lives are a mist, they're a vapor week. In one minute, we're gone the next. So every day we need to think, what am I doing today to build the kingdom of God and extend it? You know, God's people have always thought like this. God's people, we we have always done this. Go all the way back and read the Old Testament. You would see it when, when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt They found themselves in the desert and they wanted a place to worship God. So they said, all right, well, we're going to set up something called the tabernacle. If you don't know what it is, pop up church. It's like a tent. It's like the worst set up and packed down. Detailed. But you talk about bump in and bump out. You don't know. So this is the thing. It's very detailed. Set it up, pack it down. But in order to get this thing happening, this project moving, they needed the resource, they needed the money, they needed the wealth. And of course, God's leaders said, well, hey, how are we going to do this? And God said, speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. So don't take it from everyone. Not from everyone. There'll be, there'll be people whose hearts aren't moved. There's people that are still maybe focused, maybe, maybe focused on the here and now, maybe focused on this world, maybe focused on other things. But there were people in that congregation of Israel 
who heard about the possibility of building a tabernacle and their hearts were moved for the things of God. And the ones whose hearts were moved, he said, just take it from them. Don't worry about the others, just take it from the people whose hearts are moved. But then of course, you know, it's not just the resource. Someone's got to put this thing together. Someone's got to get the poles and stitch the tent together and someone's got to do this, right? So what do they need? They need people to give time and they need people to use their talents. In other words, their skills and ability. And it says when it came to building the temple that everyone whose heart was stirred that they would come up to do the work. The people whose hearts were moved gave. The people whose hearts were stirred gave their time and their talent. And evidently, I reckon it was probably the both because there's a lot of people that spilled into both camps. They were stirred by the things of God. They were moved by the things of God. I tell you that kingdom people are always stirred by kingdom vision. Listen, it's the same words that are going out. Everybody's hearing the same words, but the message will fall on the hearts of people who are stirred by the kingdom of God And there'll be other people that are not stirred by the kingdom of God. He said, work with the people who are stirred. Work with the people that are moved. Work with the people that have kingdom vision, that get a little bit excited about God, what God wants to do on planet Earth. My question is, what stirs your heart? You know, what stirs your heart? Is it just for the things of this world? Is it just for the here and the now? Like, honestly, is it just for what we can get that, that realistically, we know is coming to an end that you can only enjoy for a limited amount of time. The stuff that we buy will be buried in the ground or break down or decay. It'll end up in the junkyard of the future generations buried somewhere in the earth. A lot of the stuff or recycled and packaged and sent to someone else. Someone else is going to buy something that's been recycled, you know. But at the end of the day, we don't keep it. We don't get any of that stuff. So honestly, like what stirs your heart? Do you have vision for what God wants to do on the earth? I think that every now and then we've got to lay down our small ambitions of personal gain and start to dream about what could really be. Lay down the, the, the ambitions of personal gain and ask, what is the legacy we leave to future generations? I said that I think that legacy is what we leave in people, but it's also what we leave for people, yeah? And why should we have to choose when we can do both? What will we leave in people? Will it be in future generations a legacy of faith where we have our own stories? Do you know what God has done in my life? Can you, do you tell your kids like what God has done in your life? not just in our generation or what He did in our time, but what's God doing in you? What's God doing in your life? Will you impart incredible stories of faith into the next generation? Will there be a generation that arises after us, after us with great expectation of God because what they heard He did in our time? Will we leave a legacy of faith? Will we leave a legacy of abundance? Or will the future generations have to scrape together and try to find land and territory and space? And if we think it's hard to do what we're doing in our generation, just wait and in five years time we'll revisit this. 
but I'm not thinking five, I'm thinking 50. I'm not thinking 50, I'm thinking 100. I'm thinking 200 years from now, unless Jesus comes back, we are still going to be about this cause as God's people. And will we leave something for them from which they get to share God's Word, something that's increasing in value, or will we leave to them a hole of opportunity? What will we leave to them? And you know why I say this stuff is because honestly, in my heart of hearts, I, I, you know, I just feel like when we get to heaven, I feel like God will ask us this question. What did you do with your time? How did you spend it while you're on earth? What did you do with your talent? Did you sow it into the kingdom of God? What did you do with your treasure? Did you just live for something that's in this world? Or did you live for something that was beyond it? Are we just living for this place? That we... I said there's no funerals today, but I promise you, you are leaving. You are leaving this earth at some point. Uh, that's why we've got to keep our eyes on what's most important. What stirs your heart? What stirs your heart? Every generation has the resources if they have the heart. Did you get that? Every generation has the resources if they have the heart. What stirs you? What stirs your heart? There's a church in our nation, up in Queensland, and... About a hundred years ago, this church really started to, to grow and develop. They had their own tabernacle, like almost literally. <laughs> they had to find a place to do church, so they were just putting up a tent <laughs> every Sunday. So, you know, if you've ever been on a production team or in a creative team and you've complained about bump in, bump out, you don't know. You know, so here they are, they're doing church in a, in a tent. And, and they decided, hey, we need to find our own space. We can't continue to do this. We need our own space. And so they said, well, we're going to take up a, an offering. And they took up this offering in the middle of the Great Depression. And I know we've had a hard time the last couple of years, but it is nothing compared to the Great Depression. These people are literally living off bread and dripping or they would put some milk on their bread and sprinkle some sugar on it and that was a was a great meal so i know the last couple of years have been tough but you still had netflix and sit back in your house and you know the what they went through in incredibly difficult much more difficult than what we face so they decide we're going to take up an offering they're at church in their tent and they say guys we're going to get a building so they you know, pass around the buckets. And this is back in the day. I mean, no one's given online. So, they, they, you know, they got it on them somewhere. They got their resource on them. So they, they take up the offering and the church is worshiping. And, you know, the deacons, they take out the offering out the back and they count it up. And they go, do we have enough? And they're like, no. What are we going to do? So they went back out to the congregation. And they came out and they said, guys, we want to get this building. Um, and, and, and buy our property, but we don't have enough. So we're going to take up a second offering in the same service. And they're like, everyone's like, okay. So they passed around the container and they got the money and, and they had more, obviously, because they took it up again. So they had, they had something on them. So they take the money out the back and they count it up, think it's counting it up. Do we have enough at this time? No, they didn't. 
So what did they do? They went back to the, it's getting awkward now, isn't it? Yeah, they went back to the congregation. They went back to the church and they said, guys, we do not have enough to complete this project. So we're going to pass around the bucket a third time. And if memory serves me correctly, I think they did it about five or six times. They just kept going back. What's weird is that every time there was more to give, you know. So, so they kept taking it up and taking it up. And then you know what they did? They had enough. And they went and they purchased a property in Brisbane. And that property was sold only recently. And it was sold for millions and millions and millions of dollars and they took the funds and they were able to buy multiple larger properties with increased seating capacity, but sort of state of the art stuff. Why were they able to do that? Because a hundred years ago, some people that were in the Great Depression saw past their present circumstances, saw through their sacrifice and said, we're gonna leave something for a generation that we will never ever see. I don't know about you, but it stirs me when I see that. I wonder what we'll do for the generation that we'll never see. I wonder what we'll leave for a generation that we might not ever meet. It might be our great, 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 great grandchildren. But at that time, they'll have something because there were churches in this era running their race with endurance, running the race that was set before them saying, we will do everything we can in our time to establish the kingdom of God so that future generations will be blessed by what we do. And I'm just moved by that. And you think, that's amazing they did that a hundred years ago. They did it earlier than that. (laughs) Read the Bible. Have you heard of the Macedonians? They were people that were around in first century just after the early church was birthed. And here they are, Christians in Macedonia, who were actually completely impoverished, by the way. And it says that their poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Every time you read scripture like that, you think it's an oxymoron. Like you've got to go back and read it. Wait, wait, wait. Did that just say what I think it said? Yes. How could poverty overflow in generosity? Oh, it's because their hearts were stirred by the things of God. They actually, Paul the Apostle was taking up a collection and he was basically like, guys, you're in poverty. Like, you know, you don't need to give. It says, and I quote, that they begged him. They begged him, please let us contribute. Why did they do that? Oh, their hearts were stirred. Their hearts were stirred. Paul did this a couple of times. We can read about it in the Scriptures. In fact, I want to read one to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5 because it's an important Scripture that helps us to understand what God's people have always done. God's always had the resources. Apparently, it just needs to be collected from time to time so that collectively they can do something great with it. Listen to what happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And I just... I think this is funny. I, I, I do. Paul is writing to the Corinthians that are a wealthy church. By the way, the lead in to this, he just told them everything that the Macedonians did to give them a little bit of encouragement because they're impoverished and you guys are rich and that's what they did and what are you going to do, right? So this is kind of where he is so that you can understand that what he's really saying to them. He says, Paul says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the gift 
that you promised. We're going to arrange, come on, arrange the gift that you promised. You know what the arranging was? A reminder of what they said they were going to do. He says, come on, don't chicken out now. Don't, you, you know, you don't, don't dodge this. Make sure you don't. My, my, my kids, they make deals all the time. I've outlawed deals in our house. <laughs> one of my, does anybody have kids that make deals with each other? Yeah, one of my kids is outstanding at making deals. Like born salesman, right? And one of my other kids is completely duped by that other kid, right? I'm hiding some names, but it might be obvious. I don't know. Anyway. And then when that happens... One of them says, I'm not following through on this deal. And they're like, well, you promised, right? And then I walk in and say, no more deals. No deals for you, okay? We're not doing this. There's no deals. All deals have to run through me because I know one of them's going to rip off the other one, okay? So I've outlawed deals. And, and, and Paul is saying, you guys made a deal. Don't back out now. Don't chicken out now. And he's writing to the Corinthian church. And if you understand a little bit of what was happening in this day and how he's reminded them, he's saying, if you guys are pledge dodgers, they, they used to have this thing in the marketplace called the Athenian Agora. And, and it was like where people would trade and do business. And if somebody was unreliable, they would put their name on a list and nail it to the front of the marketplace. Don't do business with this person and that person because they are dodgy as they come and they will rip you up. Don't do business with them. So Paul is kind of leveraging this. It's almost like a mild, subtle, nice threat. I'll put your names on the marketplace if you dodge this, guys. Like he's kind of being really serious here. You don't want to be a pledge dodger. You know the two most famous pledge dodgers in the Bible? Ananias and Sapphira. Do you know what happened to them? Why don't we just leave it there? Okay. So he goes on to say, we're going to arrange the gift that you promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. That, that word exaction, it, it, it means the translation is not as money wrung out of you. We're not forcing you. It's you. It's up to you. It's, it's your choice. In other words, if you force people to be generous... That's called extortion, and you can go to prison for that today. So, yep, that's not generosity when you make people do something they don't want to do. So Paul's saying, we're not making you to do it. He goes on and he says this, and, and I admit part of this is the Ben's Amplified version. He says in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I mean, this is an agricultural community. They get the idea of sowing and reaping. It's like imagine if somebody is, you know, praying to God back in this day and they're holding a, a handful of seed and they're saying, oh, God, would you bless this harvest? And he's like, I'm trying. You just need to sow it. <laughs> oh, God, let this produce a great harvest. Why is it not working? Well, you know, I don't know if anybody's a real green thumb here, if you understand how this works. But if you want to get a harvest, you got to plant the seed. Like, all right, that was probably my least impacting point today. Most of you are like, yeah, we get it, mate. Like, we understand how it works. Yeah, I hope so. Because he's saying, I will bless it, but you've got to sow it before I bless it. Otherwise, it's not coming. Why, do you think that Paul's talking about agriculture? You think that's his main point? Or is it a principle that we're supposed to understand? 
Ah, I kind of feel like it's a principle. What does he say? Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. That's extortion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Who does God love? Everybody. Correct. But he really loves it when we're cheerful, when we give. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower, who's that? That's God. And bread for food, who's that? That's God, because He gives us the power to get wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 8. He will supply, get this, He will supply and multiply your seed. There's a multiplication. What's that? I would probably just call that overflow. There's overflow. There's overflow. Why? For sowing. There's always a purpose behind God giving us seed. The seed is what we get, but there's a purpose attached to it. There is a kingdom purpose attached to that. And the result is an increase of the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be what? To be what? You will be enriched in every way for the purpose of being generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Who gets the glory? Right. No one's giving so that they can say, look at me. I'm amazing. Look at my sacrifice. Appreciate me. No one's saying that. We give, God gets the glory. I don't know the name of one person in that church a hundred years ago that actually gave what they had on that day so that that church could buy some property up in Britain. I don't know the name of one person, but I know this, that every weekend in that church, God is getting the glory. As people stand in worship, people come to the altar call, give their hearts and, and lives to Jesus. He's still getting glory every single week. And so when I read this, you know what I see? Is that when God gives us supply of seed, it's not there so that we can get rich. And by the way, we don't sow it so that we can get more and make ourselves rich. There's kingdom purpose behind it. We give so we can build God's kingdom. And if we are in love with the right things, we will love that exchange. Do you get it? We love the exchange. Why? Oh, because we see what we're getting in exchange for it. And we can see through the present sacrifice to see what happens after it. Just like Jesus did. So you can attach kingdom purpose to earthly wealth. You can attach kingdom purpose to earthly wealth. It's just stuff. It's just opportunity. It's just resource. Put it anywhere that you want. Seed it any way that you want. But you can attach kingdom purpose to earthly wealth. Jesus warned us about this stuff. He said, hey, come on, don't lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust will destroy. It's exactly what I was saying before. If you, if, if you are just enamored with this world and everything this has to offer and you are just solely focused on this and you don't think about anything else, then you'll only give to the things that are here. And Jesus is saying that would be a major mistake because what you get here stays here. What we get here decays, it rusts, it fills, it's, it's landfill in the future. Maybe they recycle it and someone else buys it, but it's landfill, it's nothing. And we leave here and take what there. But if we are clever about what we do, we build things here and we build things there. If we see it the right way. And you know, the moment that the church understands this, we thrive, we thrive when we understand that not everything that comes to us is for us. And honestly, sometimes, guys, I think He just gives it to us to see what we'll do with it. Yeah. To see what we'll do with it. Yeah. I gave you a little extra. Why? I just want to see what you do with it. I just wanted to see if your heart was stirred 
by the right things. The things of eternal value. The things that build the kingdom of God here. We have received a kingdom. It's like it is our great privilege to extend that as far as God's grace will allow us to do. And I'll spend my life in pursuit of that. Run with endurance. It, it, this, I, I, I think about this and I think this is exactly what the early church did. In order to do this, we just need to look beyond this world. Because if we can see past it, we've got no problem given to it. The early church did this. Honestly, just read it for yourself. Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 5. They did it. You know what they did? They sold everything that they had and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Should we do that? No, that's not what I'm saying. What, what should we replicate there? Their heart. They were, they were so stirred. They were so stirred. They were so stirred because they recognized what had just happened. And they said, this thing, the gospel, this deserves all of us. We'll give everything to it. And so I, I look at that and I go, you know, no one, no one made them give. The reason that they did it is because their hearts were moved. Their hearts were stirred. Is your heart stirred for the things of heaven? Is your heart stirred for the things of God, for kingdom things, things that are beyond this world? I, mine is. I dream about it. I'm not thinking, can, can this church just last to the end of next year, the end of the decade? I'm, I'm thinking like a hundred years from now. What will we have done in our time to make a difference for people we'll never see? And God will get all the glory. I, I think about it all the time. You know, our mission here is what to see people know Jesus, find freedom, be disciples make a difference that's it I, like to me I, I, I want to give everything to that I, I, I dream of not just the altar calls that happen the, the amount of people that give their life the amount of people that are touched by God healed by God moved by God stirred by God I'm not just thinking about what happens you know when, while I'm leading the church I'm like someone will come after me and, and, and what will we have done what will we have set up what is the legacy that we pass to the next generation I don't even want to pass debt. Like I've got vision for more than that. I want to see them free so that they can, they can do mission from where they are. Because I told you, if we think it's hard now, it's going to be a lot harder a hundred years time. Accelerate our culture a hundred years. I don't know where it ends up, but it doesn't look good from here. And in that time, in that season, there'll be a generation that will say, we're so grateful for what people did a hundred years ago. You see, we're all doing the same thing. We're, we're setting up the generations that are coming after us with our own faith stories, with abundance, everything that it takes. Everything that it takes. Why? Well, we're just stirred by God. And I feel like, you know, for me, I'm just like you. I'm the same as you. Like, 
when, when, we, when we grow, when, when we are able to get buildings, and all, all, I don't get anything extra. In fact, the, the truth is, the more this goes on, I, I, I give extra. I, I give more. And I've got all the same stuff that you guys have got. Family, kids, bills, everything. But I'm stirred by the things of God. Now, last year, when we, when we gave as a family, we talked to our kids about it because I want them to get this. When we talk about it as a family, uh, we gave like the most. I'll just tell you what we did. We gave the most we've ever given. We did that last year. And now we're going to beat that by 50%. Like we just, we, we will do way more this year. Why? I'm stirred. Now I just believe in what we're doing as a church. You, what do we ask anybody to do? It's so simple. Just pray, commit, give. Honestly, that's it. Like pray, ask God, what should we do? Commit in your heart to whatever He says then be faithful and give it. I think if we do that, as we heard earlier, we'll be able to have that space. We'll do that ministry. There's so much more to be done. Amen? So I want you guys to stand to your feet. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.